welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Welcome to another chapter of Turn the Page, the official podcast of Syosset Public Library. I'm Jen, your co-host for today, and I'm here with a really exciting new author of a fantastic new uh, fantasy. Could I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Hi, um, I'm so excited to be here. I'm Tanvi Berba, and I am a YA author based in New Delhi, India. And um, Nonsters Born and Made is my debut novel, debut YA novel. It is about a 16-year-old girl, Coral, who captures these vicious Mary Stags from the sea for an elite chariot race tournament. Mm. Thank you. I loved this book so much. I thought it was so much fun and it was such an interesting world. Um, Before we get into it specifically, I was wondering if I could ask you a little bit about your writing career in general, Um, because this is your debut novel, but I know that you've written some other things. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, your work and how you arrived at this project. Yeah. So, you know, I have always been a writer, like, thanks to my parents, they brought me stories and comics and, you know, children's books when I was like, when I was a tiny baby. So, you know, I always knew that writing is something you could do, right? Like, you know, these are real people who are writing them. So I always wanted to be a writer. And like, a lot of writers who have this ambition. I was writing bad ripoffs of Aragon and Lord of the Rings when I was in middle school. And I think I think I was around 18 or 19 when I first heard about NaNoWriMo. And I wrote my first novel during that. It was really bad. It was awful. <laughs> but, you know, then I realized that I could do this. And I think after that, I wrote about three novels that I queried and, you know, all of that. I went through that process for a long while. And then I finally got into Pitch Wars with Monsters Born and Made, which kind of accelerated the whole thing, I think. And I was there. And between all that, I also wrote short stories. And I'm in this uh, anthology, the Foreshadow Anthology by Emily XR Pan and Nora and Suma. So that was kind of a, you know, a push that I needed in this industry. So that was really great. So it's been a lot of ups and downs, but I've also, you know, had a lot of fun while writing all of this stuff and you know it's it's just it's been amazing wow that is so interesting like I'm very glad to hear that you got involved with NaNoWriMo because our library our library does a lot with it and we love it and I think it's really interesting just to you know even if you don't end up using what you wrote in it like because you know I've done it too it's just really nice to know that like yeah you try you can do it yeah Mm -hmm. that was a definitely a boost like you know that was my first original novel and I don't know if I could have written it if it wasn't for NaNoWriMo and that you know that outer structure of a deadline so Mm -hmm. yeah did you find it really different when you were um say writing this novel was it a very different process without the same tight uh timelines and stuff or so this novel, I, this novel was like very different from the beginning. Like I just had this, you know, spark of inspiration mm-hmm. and I completed the first draft. It, it did take me a while. I think it took me like four or five months, but I was, 
I wrote it like in a rush and through I always knew that there was something different about it you know I, a lot of people say that you know with the novels that they make it with but yeah that was true for me as well and um I just I just knew that I had to do something with this I just had to push myself I had to finish this I had to find out what's happening in the story and I did that's great I I love that um yeah, I'm very interested in what this spark of inspiration was, because as I was reading, um, you know, something I like to ask authors is what was the like, what was the beginning? You know, I hate asking where people get their ideas because that's a bad question. But asking like, what was the first thing? Was it a character? Was it an image or a scene or like what was your starting point? I think the start was like this image of an island, a desolate island surrounded by a very terrible sea. And I am a sea lover. Mm. So I was really, I was super intrigued because I've never written a book before that, you know, the sea has played such a strong part in. So I was very interested in what's happening. And also I am a Hunger Games fan and the influence of that book is definitely, you know, you can definitely see in this novel and so I was I really wanted to see what a dystopian society in a fantasy setting would look like and that's where you know it came from and also I am an absolute stan of Maggie Stewart's The Scorpio Races so Mm -hmm. all of that you know just kind of blended together and I took it from there and then I started adding my own influences there's this you know there's this bit of mythology in Hindu myth where you have these emerald green water horses that live beneath the Indian Ocean. Mm -hmm. And they only come to the shore once a year. And, you know, these horse herders, they leave their mares on the shore. And if they mate, the offsprings are supposed to be super, you know, speedy and they have a lot of stamina and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool. I was like, that's such a cool idea. So I wanted to use that, you know, all of that mixed together. That's what Monsters Burn and Made is. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, Because I love the world, you know, like um, the monsters are so interesting. And I love the combination of the like the 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 South Asian uh, influences with the sort of like Greco-Roman mythology too. and yeah, and the fact that it's all like on an ocean planet with like these sea monsters <laughs> sort of like constantly assaulting society. Um, how did you like build the world? Um, did you map it out? Like, do, did you have an idea in your head of like what the world looks like? Uh, yeah, somewhat. I mean, uh, there's a map in the hardcover book now, so I had to <laughs> towards <laughs> the end. But in the beginning, I was... Um, I was influenced a lot by the Bactrian Indian ancient kingdom. It's it's like the the when the Greeks were in South Asia, we had this whole kingdom and it's an ancient time. So, you know, we have a lot of overlapping mythologies and, you know, it I think I think Greek society as we know it, the classical society, it's it just lends itself to a good dystopian society. So, yeah, it was definitely influential and then I had to think about, you know, we if if the, there are people on an island and they're not indigenous to the island, it's obviously going to be tough because, you know, you have this sea, you have a bad sun, you have all this stuff happening. So, you know, you start building up on it. You start thinking on why life would be difficult and then what other effects would be. And then in the mix, you have these monsters. So, you know, there's a lot of you have to think about and how a person lives on this island. How do they survive? And all of that kind of gave you know, um, me different ideas about how to do this, how to do that, and all of that mixed together. 
Yeah. That's interesting. Cause it did occur to me that the way that the, how do I say this? Like the design of the world with the islands and the monsters does a very good job of explaining the political system because it's mm-hmm. such a dangerous fragmented world yeah. that it makes sense that you'd get some really like authoritarian yeah. <laughs> type of government. Could you talk a little bit too about like the sort of structure of the society? Because you have a very, it's yeah. a very rigid class system. And I know that that has a lot of inspirations too. Yeah. So um, the caste system is obviously inspired from the South Asian caste system. And in the book, it's actually very tame. You would not believe it, but it is. Um, the real world system is super illogical. It's it's plain. I, I, I don't know if I have another word for it, but it's evil. It's, mm-hmm. There's no other word for it. So because, you know, you are in, you are given a a caste at birth in Hinduism and you cannot like you know there's no movement between castes and like it still exists and it's uh, it even exists in the diaspora like right now in the news if you google you will see that Apple is the first big tech that's announced uh, an anti-caste discrimination policy Mm because it's gotten so bad so you know once you think about it, once you put all of the other uh, ideas into it, it's obvious that, you know, the higher caste, higher class people are going to have, uh, you know, they're going to want to be separate from these people. They want the resources for themselves and everything that's left outside, these people will suffer. Mm-hmm. Plus, because um, in the story, Coral is also a subcaste of the lower caste. Mm-hmm. So they're treated that way because you know there's this idea that's perpetuated that we need someone who is below us otherwise you know we are the same as them Mm. so yeah so all of that I think it's it's a very human thing it's a very it's it's terrible but you know it just exists yeah yeah and it you know putting putting this real world system basically in a fantasy setting kind of lets you look at it with new eyes yeah like it can really make people examine stuff that they may, yeah. might not have looked at, you know, and I think that's a really good thing. Um, let's talk a little bit about Coral because her place and her family's place in society is very interesting. Because, like you said, she is in the subcast, but like she's kind of her family are yeah. rejected by both, uh, basically, like by everybody. They're not really accepted by many people in society. Can you talk about the role that her family and uh, she plays in in this world? Yeah. So, I mean, Coral is obviously uh, a renter, which is the lower caste people, but she's also a subcaste. And that kind of, in my head, it's, it's this upper caste people playing these people against one another. When you rise, when you, you know, give one family some kind of resources but those resources are also tied to their jobs to their places the other people will resent them because you know the others don't have the protection of the house but at the same time if these if these hunters corals family need help from these other people they're not gonna want to help them because you know you get more resources than me my kid died i never got to you know save that kid but you get this so now why should i help you all of that plays into it. And there are a lot of prejudices that people have. And in general, they might not have it if the upper caste wasn't playing them against one another. Like Coral is a very compassionate person. She she wouldn't want anyone to be in trouble. But at the same time, 
she's also a super angry person because of her situation in life and if someone you know talks badly to her about her family would she let someone else suffer you don't know in the situation maybe she would we don't know that so you know it's all of that playing against one another like people just you know being afraid of what might happen and they're just wanting to this this is the thing that happens when you know people's main uh, aim in life is to survival we just want to survive we just we're not thinking of someone else there's no there's no space to think about someone else because we want to survive we want our family to survive mm-hmm. mm. yeah she's in a very difficult position yeah. um and she it's interesting because her family situation and their place in society is what gets her to um try to attempt the glory yeah which is interesting too um yeah let's talk a little bit about the race too because the stakes are very high in general for this race like it's very dangerous but it's a big thing like a big cultural event and a big like spectacle um, but the stakes are also very high personally for Coral. Yeah, so the race, yeah, it was one of my favorite parts to ride, like all three events, everything. I just loved it. So um, this event, obviously this event is insane. Like, why would you want this? But, you know, this is a society that prizes survival, that prizes that, you know, their, their, their social customs basically are about survival of the fittest in the worst way possible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, even the landers who who don't need this, but you know, in their own world, in their own safe world, there's no other way to for them to prove themselves better than their counterparts, mm. except this terrible thing that they do that they don't need to do, but mm. they do it because they want to, you know, show off or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, so that's the thing, you know. And when Coral comes in, that's that's terrible. That's like that's her showing them that you know you're not the best people out here. There, there are other people on this island. They can do something. So, yeah, it's all very, it's terrible for everyone. Yeah, it really is. And it's very interesting, too. Like, while you were talking, I just thought that, like, that's kind of like an interesting, like, rich people thing, you know, because, like, yeah. the landers are very wealthy. They're very privileged and they're very safe, you know. And so yeah, they don't need to do this. Yeah, they had to invent dangerous things for themselves yeah. to do, like feel powerful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And like Coral, as a renter, obviously entering the system has the potential to destabilize like the whole system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you she's know, for her family, for herself and for her like entire like social world, too. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like projection. It's like, you know, if we are not the powerful ones, then what do we have? Mm-hmm. And it reminded me a lot too of like the um the Roman like bread and circuses, you know, of yeah. like putting on shows to entertain people to distract them from the distract stuff. Distract them, yes. On. Yes. Um, I would love to talk a little bit about Coral and uh Dorian, because they have a really <laughs> interesting relationship and an interesting history. And yeah. what I thought was the most interesting is that they have this relationship across these uh cast lines. And so they have a very interesting dynamic. Could you talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, I, it was super interesting. Like, um, uh, I have always loved An Enemies to Lovers trope. Like, when it's well done, it's super interesting to read. It's very fun. And these people have had some kind of a relationship, and then they separated, and now they meet for the first time. 
as rivals mm. so you know the it's like the opposite of things you know it's like it goes from lovers to enemies and the point of contention between them their cast lines um dorian's father being involved you know he finding out that you know there might have been something so you know you need to stay away from that girl or whatever all that stuff it's in the background we don't really touch on that a lot but that's the thing that's the thing that you know two people if they weren't surrounded by society they can be friends they can be you know whatever kind of relationship they want but we are living in a society that has so many rules so many you know arbitrary things going on and it's it's unfortunate like you know when we talk about forbidden love obviously cishet people have it easy mm. of course they do but at the same time in a lot of our societies like for example india like for example a lot of places that are not the us mm. you're still going to find people who are not able to be together even they are uh, even if they are cishet if they belong to different castes they belong to different religions that stuff is so prevalent it's yeah. it's insane to think about it so i have to use it yeah yeah absolutely it happens across so many different lines and in so many different yeah. places and um you know it like in in terms of the story like it gives their relationship a lot of like depth and history but also a lot of tension you know because yeah. they they have a lot in common like they they have um they both have like really difficult fathers <laughs> i'm going to yes, yes. <laughs> um and that kind of brings them together but they do also just like see the world so differently just because of yeah. how they were raised and the privileges that they had um and you really see kind of like dorian struggle with that a little bit to kind of get out yeah. of his like his narrow world yeah mm-hmm. like he understands there's something wrong but you know he's been brought up in that way he just he just cannot look beyond it it's difficult mm-hmm. for him as well yeah mm-hmm. and i think in terms of the dads too because that a lot of that was like very touching to me all of the like you know the search for like um approval from father yeah. even when they can be like kind of cruel like that's was all very moving um and you know we just yeah. wired that way you know we just wired that way one thing approval yeah yeah we really are even from people who like you know their approval might not help us or yeah. <laughs> it's it's hard and like it's you know i think too what you really see dorian struggling with is that like in order to understand coral's world he has to like reject a lot of his father's yeah. world so that makes it i think really hard for him too mm-hmm. and then there's the relationships with all the other people in the race who all have their like different goals and also different like different preset opinions about coral yeah. you know? <laughs> so she's facing danger just from so many places and she really does like go through a lot in this story you know when you were writing it did you when you started did you know how it was going to end or did it like kind of come to you as you were writing um i think the first time that i wrote this i wanted to write like you know your standard story the underdog wins and everything and but while i was writing i just i just thought that you know it doesn't really fit in this story somehow she wins it's a spoiler but you know it's the kind of spoiler that <laughs> that comes with the territory of the book mm-hmm. but 
at the end is definitely something that I came up with while I was writing. I had a little bit of change there because it connects directly to Coral, this, this subtle growth that Coral goes through. Like in the beginning, she just wants, she's just looking for survival, whether mm-hmm. it's in the structure or not. And by the end, we see this mindset of hers change a little, but it does change. And I don't know, I can't talk about it a lot without, yeah. you know, <laughs> getting into the spoilage territory, but yeah. Yeah, she grows in so many interesting ways and she goes through so much. And I'm so excited to see like what's in store. (laughs) Do you um do you know uh when we're going when you're going to return to these uh characters in this story? Or yeah, so um I'm right now working on book two, which is set on another island parallel to the events of these. And it's sort of we will see a kind of uh we are going to expand on the lore of what the Maristags are. Mm. It's more about, it's it's about the fallout of Coral and, you know, Stormgold's relationship. I have a lot of ideas for this world, but we'll have to see how it goes. Nice. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. I'm really glad to hear that you get more into the Maristags too, because I thought they were so interesting and- Oh, I love them. Yeah. Oh, like they're, <laughs> And they just like, even though like, you know, I've never seen one except for on the cover of the book, like- <laughs> It's, I was like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. Like, it's so beautiful and so dangerous and I love it. And Coral uh, develops a really interesting and complex yeah. relationship with hers. Um, so I'm so glad to hear that we get to learn more about them. That's great. <laughs> um, well, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed talking to you and I, you know, I'm just really glad yeah. I got to tell you how much I love this book and I, I can't wait to see the next one. <laughs> Thank you. It was so interesting to talk to you. Like I I had so much fun in this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Okay, listeners, um, when you hear this episode, you will be able to get Monsters Born and Made at your favorite bookstore or library. Um, I highly suggest you pick it up. It's absolutely fabulous. Um, This has been Jen, uh, and it is time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.